I'd like to welcome everybody to this week's Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program teaching lesson. We are doing a series of studies on the biblical festivals. This week we're going to begin a study on Passover. In understanding Passover, we are going to study the principles and themes of exile and redemption. Passover or Pesach is the festival of our freedom. And the freedom is from previously being in bondage to the world and the world system or being in Egypt and being set free by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, and we have been set free to serve the God of Israel. There are four important principles of the Egyptian redemption. Number one, the Egyptian redemption is historic. However, we need to understand the biblical principle that the events which are recorded in the Bible that happened to the patriarchs and what happened to our descendants are prophecies of what will happen to future generations. The Egyptian redemption will teach us about the redemptive work of Yeshua the Messiah as well as teaching us about our personal redemption in Yeshua the Messiah. So in order to understand how these things are so, we need to understand that when the covenant was made with Abraham, it was actually Yeshua who made that covenant with Abraham. It was willed to be made by the Heavenly Father, but the one who actually administered and made the covenant with Abraham was the Messiah. So let's see how this is so. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it was said of Abraham that the God of Israel would bless those that bless him, curse those that curse him, because in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Let's cross-reference this with Psalm 72. In Psalm 72, verse 1, it says, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness unto the king's son. So it's speaking about the king's son. And it says about the king's son, He shall judge your people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. Who is the one that judges the people of the God of Israel with righteousness and the poor with judgment? It is Yeshua, the Messiah. And what does it say about him in verse 17? His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. And all nations shall call him blessed. In Genesis 12, all nations are calling Abraham blessed. Here, all nations are calling Yeshua blessed. How are they both referred to in the same way? Is because they entered into covenant with each other. When you enter into covenant, then what is one is the others, and what is others is yours as well. You are a chad. You are one when you make a covenant. Another way we can see this is in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says, 
And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And so the one who was speaking with Abraham is almighty God. In Hebrew that is El Shaddai. Now in Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 it says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who's this speaking of? Yeshua the Messiah, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Yeshua, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and every eye will see him, is referred to as the Almighty. Translate this into Hebrew. I'm El Shaddai. It was Yeshua back here who said, I am El Shaddai in Genesis 17:1, as we can see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So once again, it is Yeshua who made the covenant with Abraham. Now let's look at this from another angle. Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and your seed, after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to your seed after thee the land where you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, we can cross-reference what was said here in Genesis chapter 17 with Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 and then verse 29. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not into seeds as of many, but as of one, into thy seed, which is Messiah. Galatians 3.16 is quoting Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. And then it says in Galatians 3.29, If you be Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. How am I an heir of what was promised to Abraham? Because it's Yeshua that made the covenant with Abraham, and I'm a believer in Yeshua, so I'm an heir of the covenant that he made with Abraham. So we've examined this from a number of different angles to validate and verify that it is Yeshua the Messiah who made the covenant with Abraham. Now, in looking at the covenant, it says in Genesis 15, verses 12 through 14, it says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Remember, the events that happen in the lives of the patriarchs are prophecies of what will happen to their future descendants. So actually what is happening here is a prophecy. It's a prophetic act of what will happen to the descendants. And so what's being told here is this deep sleep is a picture of spiritual slumber. And we'll examine that in greater detail as we go forward in the teaching. And lo, a whore of great darkness, great darkness is a reference to exile, fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. This is referring to exile. And they will serve them, which means that they will disobey Torah. And they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge. This has got to be a prophecy and a pattern of when Yahweh redeems his people, he judges those who took his people captive. This is a reference to the judgment of the nations, and afterwards they will come out, which is redeemed from exile, with great substance. Now, if the events of the lives of the patriarchs are prophecies of what will happen to the descendants, we see here how that Yeshua, the Messiah, made a covenant with Abraham, 
And as a part of this covenant and what was told unto him is that he, his seed would go down to Egypt. So how did they get down to Egypt in order that they one day would be redeemed? Well, the Torah goes on to explain how Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and there is a rift between the sons. And ultimately, the brothers sell Joseph into slavery. They sell his brother, and in the process of events, Joseph ends up going down to Egypt. After he goes down to Egypt, he goes through various tests, and then in the fullness of time, there is a reuniting of Joseph with his brothers. This is a prophecy. This is a pattern of redemption. Genesis 45.1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Genesis 45, verse 1, and then in verse 7. From these events, the children of Israel end up dwelling in the land of Goshen. Genesis 45, 9 and 10. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And ye shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near unto me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. This is ultimately how the children of Israel get into Egypt. And now I want you to notice the connection of them going down to Egypt, the events that happened with Joseph, and then the Egyptian redemption. The end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. We're going to examine later that that phrase, God will visit you, is a idiomatic expression that means he's got to redeem his people. And I will bring you out of this land, under the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from there. So we see the connection between Joseph and his brothers with the redemption, because as a part of this process, the bones of Joseph are to be taken to the promised land. So in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, Moses does this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones hence with you. So now, a place where this principle is mentioned, that the events that happened to the patriarchs are signs or prophecies to their descendants. Rabbi Schneerson of the Chabad Lubavitch Hasidic sect of Judaism, in the book that he wrote in the Garden of Torah, states this principle, that the deeds of the patriarchs are signs for their descendants. And then in the Torah Anthology, in a commentary to Amos in chapter 9, referencing to the event of Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, it says, this is on page 459 of the Torah Anthology of the Twelve Prophets, Book 1 to Amos chapter 9. The story of Joseph and his brothers, Genesis chapter 38 through 50, is not an unfolding of chance events. Every detail stemmed from God and served his purpose. For the Almighty unfolded the deeds of the fathers as a sign for the descendants. The conflicts between Joseph and his brothers were an indication regarding the future splitting of the kingdom of Israel into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Ephraim, son of Joseph. 
When later Joseph made himself known to his brothers, the reconciliation which ensued, Genesis chapter 45, alludes to a future time. The two kingdoms will unite into a single dominion. Thus the Midrash teaches, he sent Judah before him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen. Genesis chapter 46, verse 28. The scripture writes, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf is Benjamin, and the lamb represents the ten tribes, as it says, Israel is a scattered sheep, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. And the lion will eat straw, Isaiah 65, 25. The lion is Judah, as it says, Judah is a lion's whelp, Genesis chapter 49, verse 9. In the art scroll, which is an Orthodox Jewish publication, of Genesis and the commentary here to these events it says the following the reunion of Joseph and Judah brought about the redemption of their family from the exile of antagonism and isolation and paved the way for the growth of Israel into a great and a mighty nation the Midrash also implies that the redemption from the current last exile that's the present one is foreshadowed in the Egyptian experience Joseph's personal exile from his family is likened to the national history of the last 19 centuries. If the renewed love of those brothers are duplicated by their modern descendants, our redemption from exile will come as did theirs. Because the rabbis teach in part that part of the reason for the second temple being destroyed was baseless hatred between brethren of the family of the God of Israel. So once again, going back and looking at when the covenant was made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, we are going to see the commentary to this that is found in Midrash Rabbah, Genesis 44:17. And it came to pass that when the sun was going down and lo, a dread, even a great darkness fell upon him, Genesis 15, verse 12. The rabbinic commentary is dread refers to Babylon, as it is written. Then was Nebuchadnezzar filled with fury, Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. Darkness refers to media, which darkened the eyes of Israel with fasting and tribulation. Great refers to Greece. Fell upon him alludes to Edom, or Rome, as it is written. The earth quakes at the noise of their fall, Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 21. Other views reverse the application. Fell upon him alludes to Babylon, as it is written. Fallen and fallen is Babylon, Isaiah 21.9. Great alludes to media, as it is written. King Ahasuerus did make great, in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Darkness alludes to Greece, that darkened the eyes of Israel with its decrees. And dread alludes to Rome, or Edom, as it is written. After this... I saw a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. So there is a link of the historical Egyptian redemption to the future end of the exile of Jacob, which the future end of the exile of Jacob is associated with the coming of the Messiah in the Messianic era. In Micah chapter 7 verse 15 it says, according to the days, of your coming out of the land of Egypt will I show unto him marvelous thing. Days? Why does it refer to days in Micah chapter 7, 
verse 15. There is a commentary to this verse by Rabbi Schneerson in the book Anticipating the Redemption. On page 104, it says, It is well known that in the interpretation of Micah chapter 7, verse 15, as in the days of your exodus from Egypt, emphasis is placed on the use of the plural term days. For the exodus from Egypt took place in one day. As such, the commandment to recall the exodus states in the Torah, remember this day on which you left Egypt. It is also written in the Torah so that you will recall the day on which you left Egypt. So if the Torah refers to coming out of Egypt was a day, why in Micah chapter 7 verse 15 does it use the plural days as your days coming out of Egypt? It is because the whole period of time of being redeemed from the world and the world system coming out of Egypt until we get to the Messianic era, that whole period of time we are still, until we're totally redeemed, until Messiah is ruling and reigning on the earth and teaching the Torah to Jerusalem, we are still in exile or an element and aspect of exile. So the commentary in the book in the Garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson says the exodus from Egypt is connected to the final and ultimate redemption. Once again, that's because the days from the Egyptian redemption to the Messianic redemption, that whole period of time is the time of coming out of Egypt. So it's a, remember, Hebraically, prophecy is fulfilled here now, but not yet. It's fulfilled in part, but not in its fullness. So they did come out, but not in its fullness. We could come out individually, but not all the world has come out. So we're in Egypt, we're out of Egypt in part, but here we're talking about the fullness of the redemption from the world and the world system. The Messianic redemption will have signs and wonders. Once again, Micah 7:15, as in the days of your exodus from Egypt, I will show you marvelous things. It's necessary to understand that the future redemption will be far loftier than the redemption from Egypt. I'm once again reading the commentary from Rebbe Schneerson's book, Anticipating the Redemption. Nevertheless, as a whole, the exodus from Egypt will be secondary to the future redemption. The future redemption, by saying that it is characterized by wonders similar to those in the Egyptian exodus, but they will be greater. The future redemption, the end of the exile of Jacob, will be unique It will be a complete redemption that will never be followed by another exile. That was not true of the exodus from Egypt. Thus, the future redemption will surpass the redemption from Egypt. For this reason, according to one opinion, in the era of the Messianic redemption, we will no longer recall the redemption from Egypt. There's a reference to this in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. So this is a commentary once again from page 20 of Rebbe Schneerson's book, Anticipating the Redemption. So the miracles of the coming redemption out of what? All the nations where Jacob has been exiled is going to be greater miracles than what happened historically in Egypt. Now we want to look at some other principles of exile and redemption. Principles of exile include the following. Exile comes about from sin or breaking the covenant. Exile is associated with the God of Israel hiding his face. When the God of Israel hides his face, the wicked in the world prosper. The exile is likened unto being in a wilderness. 
The exile is likened unto the people of the God of Israel being asleep. The exile is likened unto the presence of the God of Israel being in exile as well. The Shekinah or the Shekinah, which represents the presence of the God of Israel. In the book, From Exile to Redemption by Rebbe Schneerson, there is a comment that says, what is the ultimate goal and intent of the exile? Exile is a process of atonement or refinement. As in the words of our prayers, because of our sins, we were exiled from the land. Exile is associated with the God of Israel hiding his face. And hiding his face means the world isn't visibly recognizing the God of Israel and his place in the world. And it seems that life doesn't make sense. The wicked can act wickedly and prosper, and the righteous can act righteously and suffer. That's a characteristic of exile. But those things will not be the case in the time of the redemption. The exile is likened unto a wilderness. Wilderness alludes to the time of exile. This is also a commentary from the book From Exile to Redemption by Rebbe Schneerson. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 35, it speaks of the wilderness of the nations. And the wilderness of the nations is a place of snakes and vipers and scorpions and drought. In other words, the enemies of the God of Israel are all around you when you are in the wilderness. Exile is associated with being asleep. And also, the divine presence of the God of Israel isn't manifested visibly in the earth so that all the world recognize it. The Shekinah is in exile also. But, and we need to understand the principle that even though the people of the God of Israel are in exile, the God of Israel still is with his people. Remember what Yeshua said? I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And he says, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of his people. Now principles of redemption includes the following. Redemption comes about when the people of the God of Israel repent. The repentance process is encouraged through suffering that comes upon the people of the God of Israel. And redemption is associated with the God of Israel revealing his face. Redemption is like a birth pang. Redemption is not comprehensible to the logical mind. It is likened unto a dream. And the redemption is foreshadowed by the words Joseph and Isaac, or Yosef and Yitzhak in Hebrew. Why does the God of Israel hide his face? Why does it appear that he's not working in the world and in your life possibly the way you think that he should be working? And it seems like, where are you? He's hiding his face. Well, he hides his face for the purpose of arousing his people to seek his face and come back to him. That is because the relationship between the God of Israel and his people is likened unto a marriage. On the one hand, God has hidden his face from his people. As it says, On that day I will hide my face, for they have turned to other gods. This is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. So all that we have to do to heal this rift, this marital rift between the God of Israel and his people, is to turn our face back to him, to repent and to seek him and his ways. Oftentimes, this process comes about through personal suffering. And how do we understand this principle? That's because the olive oil in the menorah 
in the Mishkan or the tabernacle, it is said about it, it was crushed for illumination. Didn't Yeshua say that we are the light of the world? So in order to illuminate, we have to be crushed. Israel is like it unto an olive tree or an olive to teach you that just as an olive does not release its oil unless it is crushed, so too the people of the God of Israel don't show their true light, which he's called us to be, unless we go through a crushing as well. Prophetically, this time of suffering is known as Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble. When the God of Israel redeems his people, he shows his power. He shows his mighty stretched out arm in his hand. It says... I will display my power and I will bring forth my host from Egypt. And Egypt will know that I am the God of Israel. Redemption is likened unto birth. Exile is likened unto pregnancy and redemption is likened to birth. For Zion has been in labor and has given birth to her children. And so in Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 4 through 7 it talks about the people of the God of Israel being in travail. And in Jeremiah 30 verse 7 it says that that time of travail is Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble was likened unto a birth pang. And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says there'll be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So it's a time of a birth pang. It's a time of travail. For us in our minds to comprehend how the world's got to change as we have got accustomed to seeing it and understanding it to how it would be when the God of Israel displays his mighty hand and his outstretched arm and all the world recognizes the God of Israel, that is almost incomprehensible to the human logical mind. It's likened into a dream. Well, in Psalm 126, verse 1, it says, When God returned the exiles of Zion, we were like them who had dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Laughter is the word Isaac. So Isaac is associated with the redemption, the meaning of his name. Also, in speaking about the redemption of the house of Jacob in the end of days. It says in Isaiah that God will again extend his hand a second time to take possession of the remnant of his people. The word again there in Hebrew is Joseph or Yosef. So the word Joseph is used with the redemption as well the word Isaac is used with the redemption. The meanings of their names. Now let's go back and look at these principles back in Genesis chapter 15 verses 12 through 14. The first one being that deep sleep is likened unto spiritual slumber. In Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 it says, He said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. And so when the people of the God of Israel are not obeying him, it is said regarding them that their eyes are shut. Isaiah chapter 29, verses 9 and 10 says, Stay yourselves in wonder, cry ye out, and cry that are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. He's closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, has he covered. Isaiah 29, verses 11 and 12. And the vision of all has become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned and say, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I can't. The book's sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I can't. I'm not learned. 
what is this book that is sealed that you can't understand it if your eyes are closed? It's the Torah or the word of the God of Israel. One who has learned, one who studies the Torah, can't tell you really what it means because it's sealed. One who doesn't study says, well, I can't tell you what it means. I don't study it. Great darkness back in Exodus chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, is a prophetic reference to exile. Psalm 107, verses 10 and 11. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. So in rebelling against the God of Israel, they're sitting in darkness. Exile is likened to the people of the God of Israel being a stranger in the land where they are living. Exodus chapter 2, verse 22, And she bare him a son, he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Exodus 23, verse 9, And also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, seeing that you were strangers in the land of Egypt. When we're living outside the land of Israel, we're living in a strange land. Moses then is called because and connected with Yeshua's covenant with Abraham. And Genesis 17, verse 7 and verse 8, the covenant is between Abraham and his seed. Galatians 3:16, the seed is the Messiah. And the promise is to give the seed of Abraham the land of Canaan. We see the connection here in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and the cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. Notice he called Moses because he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And traditional Christianity, where you have a dispensation of ages and you have a various covenants that are made, and these covenants are seen as being unique and separate from one another, it's often said, well, we have the Abrahamic covenant. Well, we have the Mosaic covenant. No. The God of Israel called Moses because he remembered his covenant with Abraham. There is a link between the two events. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. And look what it says. The Lord said, I know their sorrows. The word sorrows is the Strong's number 4341. In verse 8 of Exodus 3, it says, And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now look, because of their bondage, I'm coming down to deliver. You see it? Messiah, because the world was in sin, he came down to deliver and bring them out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. This word sorrows in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 is the Strong's number 4341. It's the Hebrew word makov, which means pain or sorrow. So let's look at this word used in reference to the exile. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12, it says, For thus says the Lord, Your bruise is incurable, and your wound is grievous. That is the wound of the exile. Why criest thou for your affliction, your sorrow? That word sorrow, makov, which is the same word that we found in Exodus chapter 3. Your sorrow, your affliction, is incurable for the multitude of your iniquity, your sins. 
because your sins were increased and I have done these things to you. So here's the prophecy of restoration. Jeremiah 30 verse 17. I will restore health unto you and I will heal you of your wounds. I'm going to heal you of your sorrow and your affliction. Says the Lord because they called you an outcast saying this is Zion whom no man seeks after. Another way we can cross reference and see the connection that this is actually a prophecy of the God of Israel redeeming his people through Yeshua the Messiah and also a prophecy of looking upon the affliction of the worldwide exile of the house of Jacob and redeeming them. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 once again says, The Lord said, I know their sorrows. Now cross-reference this with Isaiah chapter 63 verses 8 and 9 which says, He said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie, so he was their Savior. Who is the Savior? It's Yeshua the Messiah. And so in verse 9 it says about the Savior, in all their affliction he was afflicted. He personally identified with the afflictions and sufferings of his people. In their affliction he's afflicted in the same way that they are afflicted. That's why he can say, I know their sorrows. Because in all their affliction he was afflicted. So we have this principle which is mentioned by Rabbi Schneerson in the book Anticipating the Redemption. The principle is that each individual person are obligated to see themselves as if they were personally redeemed from Egypt. On page 25 of the book it says to explain our sages state that in each and every generation and on each and every day a person is obligated to see himself as if he left Egypt that day. Even though you weren't literally in Egypt, you're obligated to see yourself that you leave Egypt. You leave the world and the world system. And the God of Israel is taking you from your bondages and your sin and redeeming you unto himself. So this is what Paul is referring to, this principle that is communicated and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He's telling all believers in the Messiah to see themselves as if they came out of Egypt. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Messiah. It says, I would not have you be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all did eat the same spiritual meat. They all did drink the same spiritual drink. Notice he uses the word all five times. But do you realize that all of our fathers passing through the sea is not literally true? Because my father and grandfather didn't literally come out of Egypt. Your father and grandfather didn't literally come out of Egypt. But if you are in covenant relationship with the God of Israel, you are to see yourself as if that event happened to you and to identify with it. And this is a Torah concept that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 29, verse 12, that you should enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, that he may be unto you a God, as he has said unto you, and as he has sworn unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
neither with you only do I make this covenant in this oath. I'm not making this covenant in this oath just with you who I'm speaking to, but I'm making it with him that stands here with us this day before the Lord our God and also with him that is not here with us this day. So if you were not there, you were there. That's what the God of Israel says. When we celebrate the redemption, which is Passover, the commandment in Exodus chapter 13, verse 8 says, And you shall show your son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You're to tell your son in that day. That's future generations. That day is also an idiomatic expression that refers to the Messianic era. It's that day. So we'll still be telling our sons in that day in the Messianic era that I came out of Egypt, that they came out of Egypt. And this is the commandment during Passover is to tell your sons that this happened to them. But telling a son in that day that he came out of Egypt, that's not literally true. So if it's not literally true, why is there a commandment to tell them that? Well, it's because it is a Torah concept. And so why did the God of Israel redeem his people from Egypt? And as believers in the Messiah, we're to identify with this. Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you, when you have brought forth the people out of Egypt. You will serve God upon this mountain. That's the reason for redemption, is to serve God. And notice where you serve him, on the mountain. And so we were redeemed from Egypt so that we would serve God on the mountain. If we serve God on the mountain, we're keeping his Torah. That is the purpose of the redemption, is to serve him on the mountain. Another principle of redemption is when the God of Israel redeems his people, it is associated with knowing his name. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they will say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and that is my memorial for all generations. How does the God of Israel want to be remembered for all eternity? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we look at the name of the God of Israel, yod heh vav in Hebrew, it has the numerical value of 26. A yod is equivalent to 10 in Hebrew. A he is equivalent to 5. A vav is equivalent to 6. And a he is equivalent to 5. So if you add up the numerical value of yod he vav he, it is 26. What's the significance of that? That's because from Adam to Moses is 26 generations. He revealed his name which has the numerical value of yod vav in the 26th generation of mankind. From Adam to Noah, 10 generations. From Shem to Abram, 10 generations. And then we have Isaac, Jacob, Levi, Kohat, Amram, and Moses. 26 generations from Adam to Moses. Another principle of redemption is the recognition of the God of Israel redeeming his people and that you are in the days of redemption. It is a process. And it comes in stages. In the book 
Sound the Great Shofar, Rebbe Schneerson makes mention of this point that the redemption comes in stages. That is because when Moses first announced God's redemption to the people in Egypt, they believed him and bowed to God in grateful acknowledgement. Nevertheless, when it did not happen right away, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirits. Pharaoh doesn't know Yahweh. So there's a principle when God of Israel is about to rename his people, the leaders of the world and the world system don't recognize him, don't honor him. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So redemption is associated with knowing the God of Israel because he said, I will display my power, I will bring forth my host from Egypt, and Egypt will know that I am God. Exodus chapter 7, verse 5 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Thus says the Lord, In this you shall know that I am the Lord, because I will smite with the rod that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they will be turned to blood. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, to the end that they may know that I am the Lord. So who are the two groups of people that's knowing that he's the Lord? His people and also the world, Pharaoh and Egypt. A couple other scriptures that say the same thing. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he should follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all of his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Exodus 14, verse 18, When I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Now we see the same principle in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 18 through 20. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria had laid waste all the nations and their countries. And they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord. Save us that everyone will know that you are the Lord. You see the principle? The same thing that was mentioned in Egypt. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 25 and 26. Thus says the Lord, Even the captives of my mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contends with you. I will save my children. How's he contending? He is judging them. And I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh, and they will be drunken with their own blood, and with the sweet wine and all flesh will know that I am the Lord and your Savior and your Redeemer notice once again he's judging I'm going to contend those that contend with you and they will all know that I am the Lord your Savior the Redeemer the mighty one of Jacob once again this principle was seen in Isaiah chapter 60 verses 14 through 16 
The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you, and all they that despised you shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you. I will make you an eternal excellency, a joy of many nations. Now what is associated when he's making his people of joy of many nations after they've been forsaken and hated? Isaiah 60:16. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shalt suck the breast of kings, and you will know that I am the Lord is the Savior and the Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. We see this principle in the battle between Gog and Magog. Ezekiel 38, verse 18, 22, and 23 says, It will come to pass at the same time when Gog will come against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will come up in my face. I will plead against him with, look, I'm going to plead against Gog with pestilence and with blood, I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. You see the parallel of the judgment that was upon Egypt? Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. When's all the nations got to know he's the Lord? When he judges the enemies of his people. Ezekiel 39 verse 1, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they will know that I am the Lord. When are they going to know that he's the Lord? When he sends fire upon Magog. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. Look, he's making himself known to his people as well. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen, the heathen will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 39, 21 and 22, verse 25 and 28. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen will see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. From what day forward? When he's judged the enemies of his people. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and be jealous for my name. Look, he's redeeming his people. Verse 28. Then shall they know that I am the Lord. When he redeems his people, they'll know that I am the Lord, their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I've gathered them into their own land and left none of them any more there. Now we should be able, with that background of those principles, understand Messiah's prayer in John 17, verse 21 and 23. That they all may be one, as you, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world would believe that you sent me. When is the world going to believe that Yeshua was sent? I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world will know that you sent me. When his people become one, when, are, when do they become one? When they get redeemed from the nations and they're united again? When that event happens, that then the world will know that you've sent me. Why will the world know that Messiah was sent when he redeems his people? Because he's got to be judging the nations as well. This is easy to understand with the foundation of these Torah principles of exile and redemption. So once again, in summarizing this principle, the redemption is associated with knowing Yahweh. All nations will know Yahweh, and Israel will know Yahweh 
when he judges the nations and redeems his people from exile. Israel is the firstborn son of Yahweh. Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. It says, And you shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. So Israel is likened unto a firstborn son who's going to have the duty to serve him. They're redeemed from Egypt to be a firstborn, a faithful firstborn son that serves the God of Israel. So did we just get saved so that we can escape hell and go to heaven? Or did he also save us so that we would be his servants of his kingdom? He redeemed us to serve him. Leviticus 25.55 For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants who I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Isaiah 44.1, and Israel whom I have chosen. So we're redeemed to serve the God of Israel. So when we get redeemed, we just change who we serve. We previously served Pharaoh, and now we're serving the God of Israel. So notice, we're still serving somebody. We just want to serve the God of Israel rather than serving Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. Now we should be able to understand why the Messiah is called the son of the God of Israel. It is a reference to him being a faithful firstborn son that does the will of his father. That's the Hebraic meaning of being his son. Matthew 2.15, And there was until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken out of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So how is the verse quoted, this is from Hosea 11.1, how is that verse being said about the Messiah? Because of the principle. What happens to Israel happens to the Messiah. What happens to the Messiah happens to Israel. Israel was called out of Egypt. The Messiah is called out of Egypt. That's the principle that is trying to be communicated there. And so in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, And Yeshua, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of Elohim descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, this is my faithful firstborn Son, who does the will of his Father, and if you do the will of his Father... I am well pleased in him. Yeshua is the firstborn son of Yahweh. Colossians 1.15 Who is the image? Messiah is the image of the invisible Elohim. The firstborn of every creature. Hebrews 3 verses 5 and 6 And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken after. Moses was a faithful servant, a faithful son as a testimony of those things that would be spoken after. What's the things that we've spoken after? The things regarding the Messiah. Hebrews 3.6 But Messiah is a son, a faithful son over his own house. How is he a faithful son over his own house? Because he's the one that made the covenant with Abraham. Whose house are we if we hold fast to confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? So we have another principle of redemption that we have the phrase that Yahweh visits his people. In Genesis 50, verse 24, Joseph said unto his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you. Now look, look what visiting him is and bring you out of the land. Visit you and bring you out of the land. There we have a definition. Exodus 3:16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen 
that which is done to you in Egypt. Exodus 4.31. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, there's a condemnation against the shepherds of Israel, and what we're going to see as a part of the condemnation is they're not visiting the sheep. Woe be unto the pastures that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. So redemption is gathering the sheep, and now these pastures are scattering the sheep. If redemption is visiting his people, what are the pastures not going to do in scattering? Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the pastures that feed my people, you have scattered the flock and driven them away. You have not visited them. You're not teaching them Torah. You're not teaching them the principles of redemption. Behold, I will visit upon you the evils of your doing. They're not being told that they are in exile from the land of Israel because they've departed from Torah, so therefore they need to return to Torah. The pastors are not communicating that message. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, reading through verse 73, it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Who is prophesying? The Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Look, he's remembering his covenant with Abraham, and he's saving us from our enemies and visiting us, redeeming us. The oath which he swore unto our father Abraham. Luke chapter 7, verses 13 through 16. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion upon her and said, Weep not. And he came and touched the, the bear. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto you, Arise. Arise? You arise from spiritual slumber. Spiritual slumber is death. So if you're going to rise, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us, and that God had visited his people. Look, God visited his people. It's the redemption from death by awaking them out of spiritual slumber. However, Messiah said that Israel did not know the time of the visitation. Luke 19, 41 through 44. And when he had come near, he beheld the city, that is Jerusalem, and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even thou, at least in this your day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you that your enemies will cast a trench around thee, and compass thee about, and keep you in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and your children within you, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of the visitation. That is the redemption. That is the end of the exile. Now, let's look at the judgment of the sheep of the goats in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man will come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goat on the left. Verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick 
and you visited me. What is sick departed from Torah. So uh, when people of the God of Israel are sick and you come to visit them, you're going to teach them Torah. You're going to tell them that they're in exile because they broke the covenant and you're going to come with that message. They're sick and you're going to visit them. I was in prison and you came unto me. In prison, Isaiah 42, 18 through 22 says, Jacob is in prison because he departed from Torah. So when I'm departed from Torah, are you going to come visit the one that's in prison? Tell them that they've departed from Torah? Then shall he say also unto them on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was a stranger. You know what stranger means? You're in exile. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. I was naked, and you clothed me not. I was sick, being a stranger, and I was in prison, and you did not visit me. You see how this begins to make sense when you got your foundation of exile and redemption. So when the God of Israel redeems his people, it is also associated with him making a distinction between his people and the people that he's judging. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. Look, no swarms of flies are in Goshen. That's where his people are. To the end that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Exodus chapter 9, verse 4. And the Lord will sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is of the children of Israel. Children of Israel's cattle, not dying. In Egypt, the cattle's dying. Exodus chapter 9, verse 6. And the Lord did the thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Exodus chapter 10, verse 23. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. There was a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not even a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how the Lord does. He puts a difference between Egypt and his people. Now, let's look at this principle in the end of days. Malachi chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day. What day? The Messianic era, in the time of redemption. When I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. Moses is the sent deliverer of Israel. Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I have come unto the children of Israel and say, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Notice he's being sent. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. God said moreover unto Moses, Thus you shall say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever and my memorial unto all generations. Exodus chapter 4, verse 28. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Exodus seven sixteen. 
And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. So now in John chapter 6, the setting is Passover. John 6 verse 4. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was at hand. And Yeshua says in John 6:38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the him that sent me. Verse 39, And this is my Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, verse 44, No man can come unto me except the Father has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 6, verse 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. The sightings pass over, and look how Messiah keeps repeating, I'm the one that was sent. I'm the one that was sent. He's making an allusion back to Moses being the sent one, but he is the greater of Moses. He is the Messiah. We also have this principle that you are to keep the feast or be a feast. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey in the wilderness, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest... He should fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. What is Moses saying to Pharaoh? Please let us keep Passover, because if we don't keep Passover, the God of Israel is going to judge us. Pestilence will fall upon us, and we don't want pestilence to fall upon us because we don't celebrate Passover. So in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. I say unto you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I'm going to slay your son, even your firstborn. And now let's look what Passover is. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a token for you upon your houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Look, those who kept the feast were preserved. Those that kept the feast were preserved. But what happened to those that didn't keep the feast? They were not preserved. Pharaoh didn't keep the feast. So what's got to happen to him? Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Pharaoh's chariots and his host has he cast in the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. Pharaoh says, nope, I'm not keeping the feast. So you know what happened to him? He drowned in the sea. He became a feast. But those that kept the feast were preserved. So these are some of the principles of exile and redemption which we need to understand as people who are believers in the Messiah who are in covenant relationship with the God of Israel. We need to realize that when the God of Israel made a covenant with Abraham, Yeshua was the one that made that covenant with him. 
And by being believers in Messiah, we are heirs of that covenant promise. And so the promise to Abraham is that his seed would go into Egypt and the God of Israel would redeem them out of Egypt. As believers in the Messiah, Paul instructed us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, that we are to see ourselves as those events happen to us. We are to identify with those events. Why? Because in the end of days, what is associated and connected with the Messianic era is a repeat of the events that happened in the historical Egyptian redemption. The God of Israel, when he redeems his people from worldwide captivity and brings them back to the land, it is going to be a, a parallel of those events that happened in Egypt. And so we need to understand those principles and so that we can be in the will of the God of Israel and be the recipient of the positive aspect of the principles and not be on the negative aspect of these principles. Because as we just saw, that those things that happened then are going to be repeated here in the end of days as the God of Israel redeems his people from worldwide captivity and as Messiah comes and ushers in the Messianic era. So this is going to be our introduction to understanding Passover. We are going to continue our studies next week in further examining in detail the things regarding Passover. So I pray that this message has been a rich blessing to you, and shalom in Messiah.